You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. Or maybe ask another way, what, are, what brings you happiness? What brings you contentment? What brings you satisfaction or purpose in your life? Uh, or maybe a, a friend of mine was, uh, was over yesterday for dinner, we, a couple, and as we were, before heading out for dinner, uh, this friend asked my son, how do you spend the hours of your day? How do you, what, do you, what do you do in your day? What are the hours? How are the hours spent? Because often what we do or what we love shows what really matters to us, what really is important to us. Again, as we turn our attention to First John this morning, we see that, that John takes a radical abruptly turn and begins a new train of thought in this passage. He has a burden to encourage the community in their faith, but he also has a burden to give them a warning that, about the enticements of this world. He uses the phrase, I am writing to you, or I, I write to you often in this passage to communicate this, that this message he is about to commu- communicate to them is urgent, it's, it's serious, it has eternal significance. So basically what he's saying is this, listen up, my beloved children, you need to hear and actively listen to what I'm about to say. The world and the things in it does not truly satisfy, only Christ satisfies. But that message is not only for the church of that day, but it's for us today as well. We need to actively listen to this passage, because God hates our love affair with the world. And those things in the world that draw us away from God and from our love of God. So friends, let's listen carefully to John's, God's gracious and yet stern message. It's beginning with chapter 2 in 1 John, beginning at verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for, my, for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, these are your very words to us today. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would instruct us, you would Uh, change us. You would convict us, Lord, that you would uh, use this time as you're using the time of of singing and of confession of sin and confession of faith and of prayer, that, God, you use these means as as a way to draw us close to you. So as we spend time in this time now, that you would do that work of grace. Nurture our souls, we pray in Christ. Amen. In the mid to late 1980s, there was a film called uh, Wall Street. Anybody remember that film? It takes place in, 19, um, in, in the early 1980s during the Wall Street time. And th- it's about Bud Fox, who's a young and new Wall Street 
stockbroker in New York City who has a strong desire to get on top. And so as he's working during the day, he's, he's trying to come up with strategies to meet this well-known, famous uh, stockbroker, uh, Gordon Gecko. Now, Gordon Gecko was very successful, but he was also very ruthless and greedy. And so Fox finally meets uh, Gecko, who takes this young man under his wing and explains his philosophy of the world, that greed is good. You see, Bud wants more money. He believes that it is his, his, it is his answer to contentment. It is his answer to happiness. Because it will get him out of debt. It will make his father proud. It will earn him the respect and power that he desperately wants to show to those in his life. Gordon Gecko, the, the man that he's under his tutelage, religion is money. And the pursuit of it is his purpose. In fact, here's what he says to a group of uh, people. He says this, Gordon Gecko says this, The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for the lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. What's worth doing is worth doing for money. Well, if you go to the end of the, the movie, we see the negative and disastrous results with their love affair with money. Bud ends up empty and lonely. Gecko is serving a prison sentence for his illegal activities. Now, this may be an extreme example of what I'm trying to communicate, but in two ways, many ways, we too struggle with what the world has to offer, it being wealth, success, earning a reputation. And we often look at these things to say, these are the things that satisfy me more than God or brings contentment to me more than God. See, the Apostle John in, in this passage understands that these Christians are tempted to think that the world and its stuff might bring more contentment than God himself. So he both encourages, encourages them by reminding them of who they are in Christ, but he also gives them a stern warning. Much like what Bud's boss gave a stern warning to him as he said this. He said, Bud, but I like you. This is Lou, who he worked for. Just remember something. My man looks in the abyss, and there's, there's nothing staring back at him. And at that moment, man finds his character. And that, it, and that is what keeps him out of the abyss. The main thing about money, Bud, is that it makes you do things that you don't want to do. See, the Apostle John wants the church not to do these things that he knows is going to lead them to bad results. So he gives first words of encouragement and words of warning. And as anybody who wants to come to confront someone that you know is, might be struggling, I often come with words of encouragement. I want, if, my, if one of my children or, or someone I know is struggling with something, I want to encourage them first, then I will want them to give them the word of warning. This is what John does to this church because he cares for them. He deeply cares for them. But he also, more importantly, cares about the relationship that they have with God. So keep that in mind as, as, as John shares these words of encouragement and these words of warning. And then he ends with the words of so look with me again at verses 12 and 14 and get encouraged by what John is saying here. He says again, I'm writing to you, 
little children because your sins are forgiven from, for his namesake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And let me now first clarify what is, what is Paul doing when he's using the words children, fathers, and young men. There's a few ways to look at it. One is that some have said that John is addressing different stages of a believer's development. Are they new, new, he's talking to new believers and maturing believers than mature believers. Another way to look at it, and I, I'm probably more in line with that, that John is using a rhetorical device to address the various age groups within the church. Regardless of your take on that, John is emphasizing some realities for all Christians, regardless of age or maturity level. So what are those encouraging realities? In verse 12, he says this, we are forgiven, right? We are forgiven and remain forgiven. Because of Jesus, you are forgiven. He even adds for emphasis for his namesake to show the permanence of our forgiveness. He forgives on the account of his name, the name of Jesus, his son. You're forgiven because of your faith that you've put in Jesus Christ, who we confess, who has atoned for our sins, and who now pleads our case before the Father, that reminds our Father in heaven that we are forgiven. See, God has forgiven our sins, past, present, and future, because of Jesus Christ. That is a reality that we even confess today after we confessed our sin, knowing that we are still on this journey, that we confess our sins, and, and we're assured that we are forgiven. Now, some of us may struggle. Can God really forgive me of this sin that I did? It was a horrible sin. But if you put your faith in Christ, yes, you are forgiven. You stand forgiven. Rest in that forgiveness. Hold on to that forgiveness that God has given you. It is permanent. It cannot be taken away as, you've put your, as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But another reality, encouraging reality, is that we know God. Because of Jesus, you know God. Look at verses 13 and 14, the first part of it. See, John not only emphasizes our forgiveness, which is permanent, but we are, we are in a personal, intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In fact, if you survey the word to know, both in the Greek and the, and the Hebrew, to know denotes a very personal, intimate relationship. Think of the most intimate relationship you have. That is, about, that is what it's like in knowing God because of Christ. Because of the work and the, the person and work of Christ for us, God knows us and we know him in very intimate and personal ways. And as we are forgiven permanently, remain in this acceptable fellowship with him through God, through Jesus Christ. We sang, right, that even today, reminding us because of Christ, we know him. And that, and that secures us. That, can be not taken, that cannot be taken away no matter how we may mess up in this world. If you put your faith in Christ, you are forgiven. You, are, you know him, right? To know Christ more deeply is to know God more deeply. Be encouraged. You are forgiven if you're in Christ. You know God if you're in Christ. 
And the third encouraging reality is that we have overcome the evil one. In the latter verses 13 and 14, because of Jesus, you and I have overcome the evil one. John lastly encourages the community of believers there, and God encourages us today that because of Jesus and his works on our behalf, we have overcome the evil one. We have overcome Satan and his influences. Which, which begs the reality is that we must acknowledge that we are in a spiritual battle. Friends, we are in a spiritual battle. A lot of Paul letter, Paul's letters reminds us of that. The evil one is active, trying to distract us from experiencing the grace and love of Jesus. He's, he's, he's trying to distract us and in, in, in us resting in the forgiveness and being known and loved by God. And he can be a dangerous influence in the life of a Christian. Don't diminish the power of the evil one. C.S. Lewis's book in the Screwtape Letter describes beautifully what that influence may look like. And sometimes it's just luring us to sleep. But yet, we need to understand that we're in a spiritual battle. He even uses the imagery of young men, for often it is young men who fights in war during that time. So we must acknowledge that we have one who has ultimately defeated him. And so that's why we can be confident, we can stand firm to know that we have the power to defeat the evil one because of Christ. See, because of Jesus' perfect life, his death on the cross, his rising on the third day, there is one who is more powerful than the evil one that is in today in his, in, 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 in his activity. Christ has decisively won the victory. And he has given us the power to face the temptations that may come our way. He has won, so we win and we have won. We have the word, Jesus Christ, abiding in us, living in us, and making us strong in the battle. He abides in us. John, as he is about to give a word of warning, he is reminding them of who they are in Christ. You are forgiven. You stand forgiven. You, you know God. You stand accepted in his presence because of Jesus. And you have, now over, you have the power now to overcome the evil one because of Jesus. A beautiful uh, reminder is, is Jesus is, when he's in the journey, he's hungry, right? When he's tempted by Satan in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Look how he interacts with, with, uh, with Satan when he's very hungry. It is one of his weakest points in his life. Listen to how he interacts with Satan. He says, And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, Man, if, if, if Satan came when I was hungry, watch out. I don't think I could withstand that if, if it wasn't because of Jesus. Because when I'm, when I'm hungry, I get kind of grumpy. <laughs> I don't know about you, right? Here, Jesus is hungry. He's, he's, you know, he hasn't slept and he's fasted for 40 days for a night. And then Satan comes to him and says, if you, if you are the Son of God, Satan says, Command these stones to be, become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up and let you, unless you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil departed, left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus, yes, fully God, but also fully man, experienced as a man the temptations of power, of prestige, of honor, of glory. If he would just worship Satan in the very low point, being hungry and thirsty and tired. And we see what ministered to him, the promises of God, the word of God, the love of his father. He reminded himself of the love of the Father that enabled him to stand and overcome the evil one, to overcome Satan. He is, yes, an example for us, but the reality is that because he abides in us, we have the same power and authority to reflect on the word of God, to resist the temptations of the world. That is good news for us, right, friends? Not only are you forgiven, not only are you that you know God permanently, but you have Jesus himself, the one who, who resisted temptation from Satan, who was promising him the world. He lives in us, and we too have that strength and resources to resist those things that the world, we think, has to offer to bring us contentment and satisfaction. Friends, we need this encouragement because we often forget what we have in Jesus Christ. We also need this encouragement to hear these hard words that John are saying now. The words of warning in verses 15 and 17 through 17. Let me read those again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For, for, all, that is in the, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but from, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of the God abides forever. So John is saying, because of Jesus and the relationship that you have with Jesus, because he abides in you, do not love the world. Do not love the world. What does he mean when he sternly warns, do not love the world or the things of the world? So first, what is the world that he is talking to? These are worldly attitudes or values that are opposed to God. Greed, lust, hate, materialism, isolation, selfishness, pride, personal power are just some of those world values and attitudes. See, it's a realm that does not nor will not recognize Jesus Christ in his message and despises people who follow Christ. It's a part of the life influenced by Satan, the evil one. That is what the world John is talking about. What he doesn't mean, because I think we need to be clear here, you do not love the world should not be read, listen, as an utter rejection of the world. Why do I say that? What does John 3.16 remind us? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
Rather, John warns against devotion to our world system that is opposed to God, empowered by Satan. So we sang the first hymn, the creation song. God loves his world he created. He loves the people he created in the world. And so must we. We must love its beauty. We must love its goodness. We must love its creativity. When Val and I, as we drive from Columbia to, to Germantown, we take the back roads. We saw a beautiful peacock in the, on, on someone's yawn. Yawn. Yawn? Yard. Lawn. Man, I was like, man, what's going on there? The Y and the W. Y and L. Anyway. We saw beautiful trees blossoming, right? The dogwoods and all the other trees. Beautiful pink, yellow trees. We saw these horses galloping on a horse pasture. It was beautiful, these, these beautiful horses. God wants us to enjoy his creation. You Enjoy the music that we love. And I want to apologize. I think I, I didn't mean to harsh out rock music. I'm just not a fan of rock music. But we can enjoy jazz. We can enjoy classical. We can enjoy hard rock. We can enjoy rap. Seriously, these are words that, but we, we do need to be careful, right, enjoying those messages that are contrary to what Christ and his words are. But we're to enjoy those things that God has created, either it be art or music or nat- natural creation. But, but we are not, and we're not to also withdraw ourselves from society. But we must not love those things that the evil world system loves. We must not love those things in the world that drives us from Jesus. Don't set your affections on the world or the things of the world. Don't have a love affair, in a sense, with the world. As well as as God loves the world and the people of the world, then we are to care for our friends and other human beings who are still in bondage to lust and materialism and personal power and the host of other things that oppose the will of God. So we're not to, to withdraw from those people that may be part of the world, but we're to hate the systems of the world that, portray, that proclaim a different message than Jesus and his message. So why does, Jesus, why does John warn us of our personal love affair with the world? Why does he not want us to love the things of the world? What does he say? He says pretty clearly, right? Um, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, he's, he's given us a test right? Your love for God might not be real if these things are more important to you. Greed, materialism, power are more important to you than Jesus and his message. You remember the theme of the message, it's to love God and and to love one another, right? Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Part of that is learning to to love God together, to love one another together. And anything that may interfere with that love interferes maybe with our progress with God. In fact, the love of God, the love of the Father, implants a desire to break us from those idolizations of the world. And if we're so engrossed in pursuing a world system that rejects Christ, it is evident that we may be struggling with, love, with our love for the Father. We might, might be wrestling with finding contentment and satisfaction in Christ alone. My New Testament professor says this. He says, to attempt to love God in multitasking fashion, dedicating a portion of one's love worldward and then the remaining amount Godward is fruitless because it fails to acknowledge God as he, is truly, as he truly is. Soul, unique, sovereign, alone deserving one's core allegiance. James, in his letter, says this, 
friends, friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Or Jesus himself said, no one can serve two masters for he will love the one and forsake the other. Friends, how are we spending our time? What, are, what do our hours look like throughout the day? Are you showing that you love God? Where are your affections? What are, what are you pursuing in life? Your agendas or God's agenda? Are you seeking him for what, what really matters in life? Are you making decisions about life with him or apart from him? These are some questions we need to ask. Where our allegiance lie? Do they lie with God and his will for us, or do they lie to those things in the world that we think entice us? Because John then gets really, really personal when he starts to, say, starts to remind us of those dangerous enticements that can destroy you. And he lists them pretty, pretty graphically. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, right? The lust of the eye and the pride of our possessions. These are things that can compete and distract us from our first love, God, right? So what, what does he mean by the cravings, the desires of the flesh? These are cravings of our sinful heart. Let me be clear, not all desires are bad. Human desires are part of God's creation and not inherently evil. So hear me say that. But there are desires of the flesh, old nature, right? We have a new nature in Christ. We have an old nature. And that old nature has these desires that are not healthy. They're not good. These are desires gone bad. They have become twisted when not directed by or towards God. For example, you have a desire to work hard in your job. That is a good desire. But that desire could go bad when we're thinking that that is what's most important in my life. I just need to work harder to gain more power, to gain more reputation, right? And then you become anxious and fearful. Have I worked enough? Has people seen that I've worked enough, right? You can see how that can, that, that can impact then our devotion to God, right? Because we're, we're looking at our work as our, our, our satisfaction and contentment, and we're not looking to God to find life and satisfaction. So desires of the flesh is just one example. The lust of our eyes. This is a tendency to be captivated by the outward shows of things without acquiring into their real value. You know, I, the love of sports cars. Again, nothing wrong with sports cars, nothing wrong with wanting a big house, right? But if that is what we think is going to bring us satisfaction, right? That if that's what we think is going to bring us meaning in life, then we're on a dangerous, slippery slide, right? Or maybe the next technology, or maybe our wrestling with lust and porn, right? Or whatever, or we want somebody else, what somebody else wants, their job, their spouse, the lust of the eye. And then he ends with the pride of our possessions. That's boasting on what he has or does, right? He's one who's, who is conceited and pretentious, one who seeks to impress other, everyone he meets with his own non-existent importance. Think of Gordon Gecko in the movie Wall Street, boasting about his wealth. That's, that's who I am. Wealth is what defines me. That's good. Friends, if these things define us more than our pursuit of God, then we, we are on a disastrous road towards destruction. And as I come across this prayer, maybe we need to pray this together um, in our lives, but here's this prayer. Oh Lord, Father, God of my life. Like that, oh Lord, Father, God of my life. It shows who my allegiance are. Do not give me arrogant eyes and remove evil desires from me. Oh Lord, Father, God of my life. Do not give me arrogant eyes 
but remove evil desires from me. John gives one last warning in this section. He says, all that is against God and his grace, all those things that are against God and Christ and his message are doomed. He says this, the world, the system's world is passing away along with its desires. This world is passing away. The evil systems of this world is passing away. Jesus, who is a true light, set in motion when he came, a new redeemed world. And this other dark world, empowered by Satan, is going down, friends. And it's going to go down hard. The days of this world are numbered. There's no future in worldliness. But there is a future for those who have put their trust in Jesus. We even sang about that this morning. We have a, John ends with a word of hope. What does he say in that end of 717? But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Why does he say that? Whoever abides in the will of God abides forever. Because he knows that Jesus is truly the one who satisfies your deepest longings and wants. He's the only one, Jesus and your relationship with Jesus, is the only one who can bring you true contentment. Because our soul was restless, right? I think Augustine says, until we find our rest in Jesus. See, believing in Jesus secures your destiny. Where we'll experience one day a new heaven, a new earth, where it's ruled by love and grace and goodness and purity. All the good stuff that we want on this earth will happen in a new heavens and a new earth. And as you grow in your love for God, as you get more in touch with his love for you, more importantly, you then will delightly pursue his will of believing in his son and reflecting him and his message into the world in which we live. Why do I resonate so much with Bud Fox in the movie Wall Street? Because that was my goal when I went into college. I wanted power. I wanted influence. I wanted more money. And it wasn't until some good friends introduced me to one who I needed to hear about, and that was Jesus. That all those things that I was trying to get life out of and I thought would bring me satisfaction doesn't compare to being known and loved by the God of the universe through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when, I, when God brought me to that, con- to that conclusion and brought me to faith in him, my world changed instead of pursuing money and power yet that was still a wrestling in my heart because i have that that old nature still wrestles i have now jesus who now is the one who i who i'm reminded again and again in his word will bring me contentment and satisfaction that i can rest my soul in him as i figure out what it looks like then to live a life as one who is a follower of christ he gives you the resources and the strength and the power to move from our sinful nature and to live in our new nature that Christ gladly reminds us of, that John reminds us of in this passage, where we can then devote ourselves to him by his grace and by his mercy. Do not love the things of this world. Friends, continue to, to grow and be motivated by the love that God has for you in Christ. May that be so for you and for me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this good news that you are enough for us in Christ. Those other things don't compel to compare to the love that you have given us in Christ. May that more and more resonate in our lives, 
so that we would desire to bring all things, all of our life, under your lordship, under your allegiance. May you be our God who we worship and not these other things. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.